0: Hello there, this interview that you're about to hear was originally done by me, Sam Roscoe or Chris Prince for the Blue Moon Podcast sometime between 2009 and now. That means if there's anything that sounds a bit out of date or if there's anything that's an obvious topic that we've not asked the guest about, it's probably because the interview is from a long time ago. This show is basically the Blue Moon Podcast interview archive. All of the new interviews that we do with former city players and managers will go live on the Blue Moon Podcast first, so if you like what you hear then please go and subscribe to that and there's a new show every Friday with a look at everything on and off the pitch for City but for now enjoy the end of this generic recorded message and enjoy the interview with the person whose name is in the title of this episode.
1: I was originally invited in by Dennis Stewart to to look at the communications um, because um, Dennis and a number of other um, directors felt that there was there was not a lot of control going on with the media and, and it was leaking like a sieve. You know a, anybody from the press could talk to anybody. Um, so they just wanted a bit of, bit of control put in place and uh, so when I first went in it, it was it was honestly like no other business I'd ever been in during the 90s because it wasn't in the 90s. It was in the 1970s you know the, ho- the way the place looked. The way people worked, they worked hard, but it wasn't that organised. Um, there were some areas of, of, of the club that were absolutely fantastic, um, and then there were other areas that you just scratch your head and gone, "You know, they're in the dark ages." So it, it was it was quite an eye opener, um, and I knew that you know just going in and, and doing the the, uh, the communication side of things, I wouldn't be able to change anything other than. Get a bit more of of a, a strategy in place to make sure that the club communicated well with the media and with the fans. And the first place I started was with the fans, so getting the fanzines on board. King of the Kippax, Bert Troutman's Helmet, Chips and Gravy, and whatever they were bloody called. There was loads of them, uh, but the two main one was was, was uh, Noel at, at Bert Troutman's Helmet and um, Dave at, at King of the Gippsacks. And you know, once once I got those guys on board to realise that. Um, I wasn't going to mess about. It was you know I wanted to work with the fanzines and work with the fans. Um, it, it started to work out pretty well.
0: It's uh, it,
1: it was an interesting time for City because
0: I mean throughout the nineties there was a whole period of, of upheaval. When, when you came in, was there was there still after effects of the fact that the the you know the Franny Lee over and then
1: you know his resignation? Yeah, there was there was um, there was a real. Distrust around the place. I mean, there there was, I think, I think they called it the fifth element. There there was, there was this sort of undercurrent of somebody somewhere or a group of people somewhere just had it in for the club, Um, and no matter who was in charge, uh, they would want the club to fail or they'd want to disrupt it. Um, And what we needed to do was 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 get beyond that and start to create the new Man City, and you know unfortunately it took a relegation to the second division to make that happen I remember you know my first job was to be to manage the press conference for David Bernstein um when we went down at Stoke and we uh, we we planned on on two words to make sure that they would be our foundation and that was stability and unity we had to bring stability to the club and we had to bring everybody together um, to unify it um and then we went on a, a huge push of visiting um, supporters' clubs every week, and I did it for two years. I was out every week, and the players got involved, the manager got involved. Jorah was very supportive; he was fantastic. Um, Colin Bell, you know Dennis. Um, th- it was just everybody was really supportive because we were going out and sitting in front of fans and saying, "Okay, ask us anything, and we will tell you." everything and we did and and there was there was a unique bond created so when we went to Wembley when we went to Gillingham I think that all came together because there wasn't anybody in that stadium that was a City fan there was nothing other than a City fan you know I wasn't a director I was a City fan David Bernstein wasn't a chairman he was a City fan and we were at one and I I I, I truly believe that, that that's what got us through when it comes to, to that sort of thing I mean there was
0: the first half of that, that season in Division 2 there was there was still a lot of, mm-hmm. of uh, the, the atmosphere at Main Road was quite yeah. hostile at yeah. times yeah. Um, when did you
1: notice that starting to change? Blackpool at home um, I think you, you if you cast your mind back if you were there um, that Blackpool game at home we turned it around um, I'm sure it was Blackpool memories it's a long time ago now, but I'm sure it was Black Bill at home. Um but it it suddenly everything changed. The stadium rocked. Um and and we just felt, do you know what? Something's happening here. And it did. It just absolutely took off. It was frightening. What was the role of Chairman's assistant? Um that was that was something David Bernstein wanted to, to introduce because he knew that that my love of the club um, and and my desire to see change um, wasn't going to be fulfilled by me just doing the media job. Um, and he wanted me to be full-time at the club and I had other business interests. So I said, I, I couldn't be full-time, it was impossible. So he created this position of chairman's assistant, which was basically minister without portfolio. So he said, go and change the club from the inside. So stadium, training ground. So I I did the deal for for, um, um, Carrington. Um, work closer with the players, work closer with the manager. So I was involved in every part of the club then. So the chairman's assistant gave me that mandate to go and find where the problems were and sort them out and yeah you know, that's what it was it was it was difficult to put me into put me in hospital twice um i was i, I remember collapsing um, cuz i'd gone 18 months straight without a day off without a holiday um and i was just exhausted but i just i just did it because i just knew that it had to be all in you know there was we were so far behind everybody else you know the club was in debt we had a lot of things that we needed to try and sort and and yeah you know, rightly or wrongly i felt that a responsibility that i just had to get on and do it and um, it was it was a crazy thing to do but i wouldn't change it for a minute because it just was the best time of my life that the Carrington deal is is an interesting one because
0: mm. you, you look at, at, at what the club has now and the yeah, facilities they yeah, have now. Yeah. It, it was
1: kind of like that step up, but from Platt Lane. Well, it was, and and I remember when we signed Nicholas and Elka. Um, I brought Nick over to over to Carrington, and he and he um, he came in, got him a bite to eat. He went in the gym, went in the medical room, and he came over to me. He says, "This is better than Real Madrid." Right? Like, what he said. This is better than Real Madrid's training ground," he said. "The medical facilities you got here is better than Real Madrid," and I turned around to David Burns. I went, "Wow! I, I would not have expected that we'd gone that level, but we did." And and you know everybody that came and saw the medical setup that we had, and and we we were very lucky. We had two guys, um, um, Rob Harris and Jeff Ross. Um, were exceptional physios and medical guys and jeff ross is still operating in the uk today he has his own business harrison ross um and and that just took us up a, a level and um, and players when they came to sign and they saw what we got it was it was a it was a big thing for them we had some nice pictures you know the, the whole surroundings wasn't wasn't plush but i tell you what it was it was miles better than what we had
0: what does Fans will, will be wondering at a football club what does what does a Chief Operations Officer
1: actually do? Um, I think if you ask a Chief Operating Officer now what he did or what he does um, it'd be very different to what I did. So when, when, when I was at the club um, the Chief Operating Officer was Stadium Director, Head of Media Head of Commercial and everything else in between. Yeah, I was over in China doing deals in China. I was, you know, doing supporter liaison everything because we didn't have a big staff. Um, if you go and speak to the chief operations officer now at Man City um, at, at the Etihad, um, he'll probably look at you know all his heads of departments that he's got, and it will be controlling those heads of departments and and the operations that they're working on. So the difference was. I had no heads of departments to speak of, so I had to do everything myself. Um, but I had a decent guys in marketing, decent guys in, in operations, and decent guys in, in media. And, and you know, one of the one of the best appointments I, I have I made, or two of the best appointments I made, was was Danny Wilson and Vicky Kloss. They're still at the club, and Vicky was the find of the century for me because she's just exceptional. And Danny was was probably the the best university graduate ever to walk out of university for this club because he's just immense. Um, and it was it was people like that that I felt when I decided that I'd resign that I could I could walk away knowing that there were people better than me now in that club. You talked
0: about the move to, to Carrington from Platte Lane. How involved were you in the move to what's now the Etihad? What was then the City of Manchester State? Um,
1: it, I, I was involved in, in, in every part of it and down to the actual fine detail, i.e. every suite in that club I named. So the 1894, the citizens and all of that, I was. I got a phone call um, given a day's notice by the architects to say, we haven't got a clue what these rooms are going to be called yet. You better sort it out. So I thought, well, there's nobody to ask, so I just wrote a list and I thought, right, okay, all the things that stick in my mind: Commonwealth Suite, Citizens, 1894, um, Legends. I just, I just did that and sent it off to, them. and that's why they're the names. And it was do, done within half an hour. So yeah, all of that was done. Um, involved with the hospitality areas with, with Dennis. Um Dennis was very influential on, on that side. Um Alistair McIntosh was dealing with the, the, the detail of, of the day to day sort of financial operation of, of the club. Um I project managed the um the museum and the and the superstore with um John Wardle and Dave Makin. Um so yeah, very, very involved.
0: What challenges are there from leaving a stadium like Main Road to, to move into to the Etihad?
1: Um challenge for me, for me was, was I knew I wasn't going I wasn't going to go with it um, it was an outbreak um, and I think that the, the main challenge is, is and I think the club still has the challenge to deal with is you can't transfer the atmosphere you can't transfer the heritage um, and you know Main Road could be a very intimidating place to play your football if you were a home player as probably most right backs that played for City would would tell you, because if you were playing on that Kipax side and you were having a poor game, talk to Edgy, talk to Richard Edgy. You know, I mean, at times he got slaughtered because if you weren't on your game, you got battered. Um, but that that sort of that aggression of the North Stand, you know, the, the passion between the North Stand and the Kipax um, was was you, we, it's never been replicated. And I think you know the, the, these European nights that we're all enjoying now. Um it's yet to rock. That stadium is yet to shake and, and be a proper European fortress. And and the club need to work with the fans to go on with that. And it's not about playing music and doing all sorts of things on the pitch and getting everybody going. It's much more simpler than that. And and that, they've got to address that. And I think that was the biggest challenge for the club was I think the big mistake we made as as, as a board was we gave everybody a choice to move. The seats, and what we should have been, what we should have said is the Kipax is the Kipax, the North Stand is the North Stand, Plat Lane is Plat Lane, and Main Stand is Main Stand. That's the way it stays. The other mistake I think we made is we should have called the East Stand the Kipax. When City
0: were in the third tier and, and the the deal was. was there to be signed. Mm. Was there ever a danger that it, it wouldn't go ahead if, if success didn't come on the pitch?
1: If we hadn't have been promoted at, at, G- at the Gillingham game, the job was over. We wouldn't have got the investment from Sky. We wouldn't have got a new stadium. It would, would have been impossible. Um, the Gillingham game could ne- can never be underestimated by anybody. And I think it is underestimated by... Um, probably senior people at the football club now that that probably don't understand the history and the heritage and the passion of the football club. Um, you know, I, th- I think a lot of people that have got involved with the club now, um, not the owners because the owners are very savvy and did a lot of work on on the history and everything. Um, Gary Cook got it, absolutely got it, um, but I think you know the, the 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 chief executive that's there is now very successful guy, but I don't think he, he gets the, the Manchester City um heartbeat. Don't think he understands that he's not got his finger on that. And I think he needs to understand that or somebody needs to understand it. Um and and I think until until they, they, they capture that again. Um and also the the younger fans coming through um it's it's a different world for him now. It's a real different world. There was no esports when we were going in the sixties and seventies and eighties. You know, there was no other distractions. Um, it was you go to the game, you get you get on the bus, you get off at Bellevue, you get the March bus, and you're there, and you queue up and you're in, and you see those footlights and the green pitch, and life is good. It's different now. You mentioned commercial partnerships
0: obviously mm. for city these days they have so many commercial mm-hmm. partnerships across the world yeah. um what what did it mean to the club back then i mean i remember talking or, or you talking about a deal about uh, you know using the 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 presence of sunji high at the club for
1: instance mm. yeah i mean sunji high was it was was an inspirational sign and it allowed me to go over to 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 um to china um, with with my retail director at the time, Duncan Martin, and we did a deal with um, Shanghai Shenhua, um and, and we had a, a number of retail um, opportunities out there. And that was that was only because Sun G.I. And, and it was amazing. when I, I got off the plane at at, uh, at Shanghai Airport and walked out, and saw this big picture of, of Sun G.I. with a Pepsi can, and it was he was bigger than David Beckham. It was it was frightening. It, you know, the guy was was unbelievable. Still is over there. Um, but yeah, it was it was you know the deals that we did um, were were difficult to do because of, of where we were at the time. Um, but I think the IDOS deal changed a lot because that was a cool brand to have, and especially with the, on the back of Tomb Raider Ian Livingston, who was the chairman of IDOS, big city fan, um, and that 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 sort of showed our city was was you know without being mega successful. We are still a pretty cool club. Yeah, we had the Oasis lads. Yeah, we we had all all the all the all the cool people wanted to be associated with Man City, and um, and I think that's what 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 got us through it. What what made us? You know, you, you look at Johnny Man now coming to the games. Yeah, he's not just come now that was successful. He's always come. Yeah, there's there's, there's yeah the, these these very cool celebrities that that you see now on the ground have not just turned up. They've always been coming because that's the kind of club it was. It was, it was, that that city badge was a badge of honour.
0: Looking through those promotions um, from the third tier, from the second tier, back into the Premier League mm. under under Joe Royal, and then again with with Kevin Keegan, yeah. as the club started to get more successful, how how difficult did it become in the boardroom?
1: Um, well, it caused my resignation. Um, I I felt that the board that I joined where we were the board that had a picture of a young lad who was pictured crying at Stoke It's called Leighton Gobbit and we sat down at the board and we had his picture up at every board meeting and David Bernstein said that will never happen again we don't want fans of that age crying because we don't do our job and that was the commitment and I remember when we went up at, at at against Gillingham and me and David Bernstein had gone on the pitch and we walked down a tunnel and we heard German, German and we looked up, it was letting go of it. And he was crying. He says, I'm happy to cry now. And it was that told me and David that, yeah, yeah, this is the way to go. But what happened was as as we started to get successful or not successful, we start we were back in the premiership, we were starting to win games. Kevin was very um very forthright in the way he was working, but Kevin was became very divisive. Um, he worked well with John Wardle and David Makin, but he, he started to lose faith in, in, in David Bernstein because David didn't seem to match his ambition. Um, and when that split came between chairman and major shareholders, um, that's hard to come back. And then I found out then, purely by chance, that... Um, Alistair McIntosh had been trying to, to work behind my back to to position himself as chief executive, which there wasn't one at the time. Um and 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 that for me was, was the beginning of the end because I thought, well, if you're gonna if you're gonna have a team, then you sit down and say, Well, let's discuss what's best for the business. And if someone had sat me down and said, Chris the club needs a chief executive, you're not it, but your role has to be that because that's what we think your skill set is. Then I could have made a decision. But I wasn't given that 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 respect. Um, and when I confronted the, the board, um, everybody decided they'd resign. So I stopped that happening and I said, look, this is this is not about me, this is about how you've conducted yourself. So I'll go. You lot carry on. I'm happy to go. I've got all the things I can do with my life. And David Bernstein said, well, no, what I'll do is I'll I'll, I'll make it joint managing directors, managing director commercial, managing director finance, which never work. It would never work. And I remember um, going into Alistair's office. Alistair said to me, he said, if I had to do the same again, I would. And I knew from that minute that we could never work together. And I remember we... Uh, we were at a game. It was home game. It was Arsenal at home, and I went. I arrived. I always arrived early at the ground, no matter what time we kicked off. I always arrived early, and I sat in the kick packs on my own, just looking out on the pitch. And I thought, nah I've lost it now. My heart's gone." So, rocked my resignation. Went into David Burns. and said, "There you go. I'm going." Not right it. What What impact on the board did the transfer of Robbie Fowler have? Um. It wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't so much an impact on, on the board. It was the beginning of the end for the relationship between Kevin Keegan and David Bernstein. Um, I've got to say, David was in the right. Um, we, were, we were given a prize for, for Robbie and David asked me to go and oversee the medical. I oversaw the medical and it was clear that Robbie was not fit and was never going to be super fit, um, and he had one or two operations that he probably didn't need. So when when I got back in the car to come back to Manchester, um, I rang David and I said, "Look, it's he's passed the medical, but it's not a great medical." Um, so David decided that he would ring um, Peter Risdale and and do a deal where it would be on games. Which I thought was very sensible because you couldn't guarantee that the lad was going to be fit all the time. Um, anyway, he couldn't get hold of um, Peter Isdale. Asked me to ring Peter, and it was about midnight that night, and everything was was fine. But as soon as Kevin found out, he was absolutely livid that the, the deal had been done as a, as a almost a you know pay on installments. But it was the right thing to do. It was you know the club over the over the decades had got itself into some crazy deals um and spent money that they didn't have. And David Bernstein was never gonna let that happen. He would he would, he wanted good financial controls. Um, I think that was that was a the right decision. Um, he only ever made one one bad decision, David Bernstein, the whole time that I worked with him.
0: You tell me what that was?
1: Yeah, it was to not see through the relationship that he had with me, that we had a good working relationship, um, and he 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 absolutely shafted me without probably not intentionally doing it, but he did it by by just going behind my back um, and trying to manufacture a a a different way of working, which wouldn't have worked because the major shareholders didn't want that way of working.
0: How did you feel when you
1: left Main Road after that Arsenal game? Um I, I would say it probably took me over three years to, to to come to terms with 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 the situation because I'd put my heart and soul into the club. You know, that was my club. You know, I was I was born a blue, I am a blue. And to be given the chance to to be on the board at Manchester city when you 're a city fan um and 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 have the privilege to 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 work with great people um legends, fans, uh, you know proper city fans um, was was unbelievable um and to have that that sort of i, I never I never went into man City thinking that this would be a job for life. I thought it'd be five years. I, I have a five-year plan in my head. Um, and I didn't have the opportunity to see out the whole of those five years. That's what hurt me because I wasn't around for a wage. I wasn't around to be, I'm here forever and I'll be earning fortunes. It was never that for me. It was, I want to get in, I want to get to the new stadium, I want to have one year in the new stadium and that's me done. Because it would be time for somebody else then. Because I was worn out.
0: I was going to say you, you said before about uh, it took you to hospital uh, mm-hmm. a couple of times. Was yeah. it
1: was it a stressful job then in
0: that sense? Yeah,
1: yeah, it was very because you know it, it was I was it was a it was multifaceted the job. You know, I had the media and and the the media were relentless. We had a lot of problems over the years. Um, you know, we with, with Joey with with various other players players um that you were you were always having to be on your toes. Um there was you know the, there was just issues all the time and it, it was it was twenty four seven that you needed to be on it. Match days were very stressful because I had, you know, the stadium to think about. I had hospitality to think about. I had the media to think about, and 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 everything else in between. So you, you, you I guess I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I'm one of those characters that I'm all in or I'm not. And I probably my biggest fault at that time, and and I was, you know, a lot younger at that time. I probably took too much on, but only because we didn't have any dough, and I couldn't em- em- employ a lot of people to to do bits of jobs so it was was roll your sleeves up and get on with it
0: did you ever wake up in the morning and uh, and you'd get a call that you just that just what you weren't expecting or you know something something had happened where you thought where has this come from
1: yeah yeah I mean I mean if I go back to 1998 um when when I first when I first got involved I mean we were still using fax machines don't forget then and I sat, I have a fax I used to have a fax machine in my bedroom and 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning because I used to get every newspaper back page faxed to me as soon as it come off the press and uh, I, the fax machine went, you know start buzzing away and most weeks there'd be a shit headline and it'd be about us because you know somebody was taking us over. You know, I think the rangers were about to take us over. Then this player was coming, that player was going. You know, there was problems with this, and it was it was just all the time it was going on. It was it was it was shocking. Um, but yeah, yeah, every, every day was was you know there was plenty going on. You d- you didn't have a day where you just went in the office and it just you know. Hey, what a great what a great life this is. It was there was always something to deal with.
0: Do you still feel the same about the club now
1: as you did before you did the job? No, completely different. I um, and that and that's yeah, you know, that's upsetting. Um uh, because um there was you know, from being six, seven year old, um I never missed anything. Yeah, you know, I was I was either watching the club on telly when it was on match of the day or sports night or I'm on or, or I'm on the kickbacks Packs with my brother. Um so, you know, City was my life, you know. It, it was it was just, you know, I played football, when I played football, I was Colin Bell, or I was Peter Barnes, or I was Dennis Stewart. And and that was, you know, as most blues alike, that's the way we grew up. And then I get to be in the club. I mean I, I give you a story. Um I go back to about 1969, I think it was, 69, 70. And I was, I was at a game with my brother and it was Man City Reserves versus Berry Reserves. And on this particular game, Tony Buck was playing right back. He was coming back from an injury. And he kicked the ball and he, it absolutely went skew with, And it knocked me off the white wall in the kipax. So I got picked up and this copper picked me up and I was I was absolutely battered with this ball hitting me, because he could hit it, fuck it, Um, and anyway, after the game, they came over to me, and said, or to my brother, bring him round, bring him up the tunnel, now don't forget, this is 1969-70, and I went up the tunnel, and up the tunnel, I'm watching Colin Bell, I think it was Mike Doyle, playing head tennis, and I was like, oh my god and then i fast forward to 1998 99, and i'm in i'm in that same tunnel as a director of the football club with Colin Bell who called who called me mr bird which i told him you can't ever call me mr bird you're the legend i call you mr bell i mean you can never call me that but i went from that to that and when you've got that in your dna you got that in your in in your in your heart um leaving the club under the circumstances that I left, um, it just rips it out of you, rips it out of you completely. And, and also when I left, I was made very unwelcome, very unwelcome at the football club. You know, I was, there was stuff put in the press about me. There was stuff said about me to members of staff that, that were friends of mine. Um, and, and it was just very, very bitter the way the, way the club had turned. And, and, you know, that was hard to get over. You still get to see them now. Yeah, I go every now and again. Um, I, I wouldn't say I go. I go regular, um, but you know, my it's still blue. But I just, I just really don't have the same passion at all. Um, yeah, you know, I've got, I've got that many business interests that my passion is that 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 I guess I had for the football club. I've I've channeled into different directions, um, but you know, I, I, the, the time that I had there is, was priceless.